0: 1 Thessalonians is actually a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And in the middle of it, and really the whole context of the letter, are these words of encouragement, these words of strength, these words of appreciation. Paul loved being with the church in Thessalonica He loved interacting with them. He loved spending time with them. He loved sharing meals with them. He loved worshiping with them. He loved talking about the way God was moving and what God was doing. He loved and he appreciated and he was thankful for this church. And right in the middle of this, what we call a book of the Bible, it's in our New Testaments, it's towards the end. You can locate it relatively easily. Um, In the middle of 1 Thessalonians, he just kind of stops and he talks about attributes and characteristics of this church that he so deeply appreciated. In other words, he kind of gives them an expression of what we're calling true church, what it's like to be the church of Jesus Christ, what it's like to live out that reality in that life, what it's like to be able to be a part of a church that makes a difference, and ultimately, for us, as we study the scripture, then, then we recognize, and we've kind of paused in the middle of this series to just simply say, why do I go to church? Why is church a priority? Why do I make an effort to attend? Whether I, why, do I, why do I make a point to be in my Bible study class? Why do I make a point to be in service? Why, why do I make a point to be online or to catch up later online if I've missed church? What is so important about the church? Why, why would the church be true to me? And we've talked about encouragement and we've talked about prayer. And today we, we talk about that sense of, of growth, that sense of, of priority of becoming a believer in Christ who is distinctively like Jesus. And so if I want to grow in my faith, if I want to grow and I want to mature in my Christian walk, I find that the easiest and the best place for me to do that is in the context of church. Church. In this particular section, so we're in 1 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 3, we're in verse 11, the Apostle Paul has kind of finished describing some of the things he's thankful for in this church, and he pins a real short prayer. He just simply says to the church as he prays, now may our God and Father himself, in verse 11, our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, amen. He prayed for the church that he loved so deeply, and he prayed about areas of growth. In verse 11, in the very first one, he prays about what I'm going to simply call trust. I love the way Paul phrases this. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus, they are equal terms because it's one God, different personalities, and the full authority of who God is and in the Godhead direct or literally clear our way to you. Paul is emphasizing that our growth takes us to a place of trust. Trust takes time and that's why it's part of growth. We might immediately trust in Jesus the same way we might meet somebody and be in a relationship with them that seems appropriate, it seems helpful, it seems like something we want to be a part of, and there's a level of trust, but there is nothing like the trust that is developed over time, the trust that's developed over experience. Paul is simply saying, not that we're going to make plans, he said things similar to that, not that we've got the best strategy to figure out how to be reconnected, not that, not that we just simply want to come see you and it may never happen. Paul says, we are praying, and my prayer is right in this moment, he's literally wrote out his prayer and included it in his letter to Thessalonica. He says, we are praying that God will clear the way, that God will make a path possible, that God will, that God will open up the doors for us to be together together. And this is trust that grows in a Christian's heart in the context of living in the church. Because we need wisdom and we need guidance. This isn't an old concept. David prayed it when he wrote the lyrics to his most beautiful song that we quote all the time. Guide me, he says, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. When I come to every fork in the road, when I come to every moment and I have to make a decision, I want God to direct that path. I want God to clear that way. And if I recognize or I think I'm in a place or in a moment where God isn't directing that path and I have that sort of uneasy feeling that this isn't just a good idea. Maybe we're in the wrong place. Maybe we're headed the wrong way. Instead of insisting on plowing forward into increasing difficulty, you stop and you pause and you let God direct you. A couple years ago, we were at the ranch and we had gotten stuck, which is a common experience. If you have farm property or ranch property, It's a pretty common thing that happens, especially if you push the vehicles a little further than they really are intended to do and t- intended to go. And so we're walking back, my buddy and I were headed back and, and I make the suggestion that we cut through this way. We're coming up out of the bottoms. We're headed up a hill. And I make the suggestion to him. I said, well, let's just head this way. I think we're right below the cemetery. There's an old cemetery on the ranch. And, and I, th- I think if we cut through these trees, we'll get there easy. And we can cut off probably a good mile in traveling. He was nice. He's always nice. He's very friendly. He, and he said, okay, okay, James, we'll do that. And we start up that hill. And we hadn't gotten about maybe 100 yards at most, probably more like 50 yards. And we hit really dense thicket, lots of vines and and trees, and you can hardly move, and we're fighting it. And he says, James, I don't think this is such a good idea. And he turned around and walked off. And I was standing there tangled up. I could either go on because I'm convinced I'm right Or I could turn around and follow him. His goal was to follow the road. I mean, who wants to take the easy way, right? Fortunately, we turned around because it was just going to get worse. That happens to us in our spiritual lives. It happens to us in our career choices, in our school choices, in our friend choices. We want God to direct. We want God to be able to speak to our hearts and with a pause say, I don't think this is the best path. I think there's a better path. We want God to direct and to clear our paths. And to be able to do that, we have to trust. I had, at that moment, we both faced decisions. He faced a decision to trust me and my sense of direction. He had to face a second decision to call me on it and and actually address maybe my decision wasn't the best decision. I had to make a decision to trust him in that moment. The whole decision-making process was tied up in the ability to trust. Part of maturity as a Christian is recognizing that God's suggestion is always the best suggestion. And I know sitting here in church, sitting at home on livestream right at the moment, I know that it feels like in these moments, in these very safe moments, that, well, yeah, of course I trust God. But how many of us could recount story after story after story where we didn't trust God and we went a pathway that we thought was right, we went a pathway that we thought was good, but the destination was a failure? And we had to back up and say, no, I'm going to trust God. Let me listen to his voice. And that's the struggling, but that's the common problem with trust. We have to listen to his voice. And we have to hear his voice and we have to respond to his voice. But we don't have always that sense of confidence. And that's why we struggle with it. But when you come to church... Whether you're coming to a Bible study or you're coming to a special study of some type or you're, you're coming just to a game night to spend time together and, be, and just relax and have fun with one another or you're coming to a, a worship service, in these moments we interact with other people that have been making those same decisions, making those same choices and have repeatedly trusted God to lead in those paths and when they look back on it they can see God's hand guiding them and that encourages us and that strengthens us as we make our decisions as we simply pause and say, is this the best choice? Nick and Sybil sit right down here up front. Nick and Sybil had to make that choice. They made a choice to move to this region because their children live in this region. They've been a part of a great church. I've heard so many wonderful things about their pastor that I thought about telling them maybe to keep looking, keep going further but they made that decision. They made that choice. They prayed together. They met with me. We prayed together. They've been praying together. And then I got the message this week that Nick and Sybil said, you know what? This is our new home. We're going to become members of First Baptist Church. We think God wants us to be members of First Baptist Church. And they made the decision to join our church. We're glad you guys are here on the front row. They have a history of trusting God and decision-making. They come into our cumulative corporate history of trusting God, making decisions. And it benefits us. It helps us. Because we have the collection that happens. We have the collective that happens in community where we have the opportunity to have other people pray for us. If we're facing a huge decision, then ask our friends and ask our prayer groups and ask our Bible studies. Ask them to pray for us as we discussed and looked at prayer last week. Because we want God to direct our paths. We can do everything right and it takes our energy and we commit ourselves, but we ultimately want to follow the path and we want to go in the direction God wants us to go in. And so we wanna trust him. And the corporate history of the church, even prior to the time of Christ, represents and, and it helps us remember that in the past, in history, in those moments, God came through. All three of these quotes come from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 26, verse seven, Isaiah says, the path of the righteous is level. You clear a straight path for the righteous. He's talking about his people. This is not a promise, and I don't mean this in some kind of exclusive mean way. This is not a promise for the general population. This is a promise for his people, people who have been made righteous by the shed blood of Christ and the work of Christ in their lives. It is his goal and it is his capability to make level paths for us, to clear a straight path for us. And in the context of church, we have help making those decisions. Again, Isaiah, but Isaiah, this is now in chapter four of that great book, every valley will be lifted up And every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. God has the ability to clear our paths. And he wants to do that. He wants to come in and he wants to create the levees in our life that allow us above the swamp. He wants to come in and remove and level those mountains that seem like insurmountable obstacles. In fact, that was Jesus's illustration on the power of prayer. If you say to this mountain, be gone, and you're doing it in your relationship with the Father, he has the power and the capability to do that. We'll face some mountains down here on the Southeast Gulf Coast, not physically, but we'll face some mountains in our jobs. We'll face some mountains in our families. We'll face some mountains at school this week. We'll have those moments. And it'll be helpful to remember, as we've been singing and as we've studied, that God can level those mountains. He can make that pathway smooth, He can turn the rough places into a plain. I love church because it creates growth that produces trust. One last one, also out of Isaiah. Wasn't it you who dried up the sea? The waters of the great deep who made the seabed into a road for the redeemed to pass over. Reference back to the book of Exodus and back to the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt, back to their home. And God literally part the ocean and turned that silty ground into a hard road that they could pass through unharmed growth that produces trust but it's also growth that produces love he continues his prayer and in the next sentence he says and may the lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another He's already talked about and we've talked about how the church at Thessalonica was such a loving and caring church. And we get to experience that like many of us have never experienced any place else and we're grateful for that. But again, like trust, it grows. Like faith, it grows. And now our love grows and our love increases for one another. And in doing so, we're obeying the commands of Jesus. Paul quoted Jesus in Galatians chapter five and he said, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, and sisters, Only don't use this freedom. Don't use our freedom from sin and our freedom from the difficulties in life. Don't use this new life, this new power we have. He says, don't don't use this as an opportunity for the flesh or to sin, but serve one another through love. I ran into one of our ladies this morning. We've been touring the architects that are designing our new campus and helping us create tools for the future and for future generations And we've been on campus all morning and been in just about every single room and closet and hallway of of our campus. And there's one lady in our church, I, I tease her sometimes as kind of a pinnacle greeter. I've seen her in like four or five different places this morning. She walks with a walker because of the physical disability and the hardness of doing that. The last class I saw her, and I told the ladies in that Bible study class, I said, we're going to put a Fitbit on her and measure. She's been everywhere on campus this morning. And there's only one reason. She loves her church. And she loves the people of her church. And she wanted to see you. And she wanted to hug you. She wanted to say hello. But it wasn't just that. She also loved the people who could be a part of her church. She learns And we learn. And in the context of church, we see examples like that. And we learn from those examples how to love one another, how to serve one another. Jesus gave this command He said, I give you a new command love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. It's a sad state that we have to be honest and say, not all churches are loving places. And we should pray and we should hope that God could change the hearts in those places where it's not loving. But the reality is the true church is a loving place. Because the only example we are to follow is the example of Christ. And Christ loved people. He designed, he created us, he wants to be with us. And now the church gives us the opportunity and the context and the venue in which to be together and learn how to serve one another and learn how to love one another. But just like the lady I've referenced, not just ourselves. Look at the second part after the connection, the conjunction here. It is growth that produces love for the unchurched. Paul doesn't stop at saying love one another. He is praying that they will increase and overflow with love for everyone Literally the whole world. But it's difficult to love the whole world. So start with your neighbor. Start with the kid in your homeroom class. Start with your friend down the street. Start with the, the clerk at the store. Start with the rest of the world. Start with a guest that walks in for the first time and they have no idea where they're at and they're trying to find some place to find because they've got a friend here. And they want to be with that friend but they don't know how to find the friend. We stumbled across her, lost, confused, ready to give up, quite not necessarily all that bad. Her one question was, can you help me find my friend? My friend said she's in her room, and I said, well, we got a lot of those. Does your friend have a name? Oh, yes, my friend has a name. Well, give us the name, give us, gave us the name. And we said, guess what? We're a bunch of old guys touring with a bunch of architects. Um, but we actually know your friend. And they connected. And then all of them together invited me to sit with them this morning. It's a different experience sitting with the youth group. If you guys want to try it out next week, feel free to come down here. Um, It's a little nerve wracking. I'm not used to having Josh that close to me while I'm worshiping. And I'm like, I'm like sitting there telling, I'm going back and forth with kind of this parallel because of our, our good relationship. I know him. I'm like, Josh is looking at me worshiping. Okay, it's okay if Josh is looking at me worshiping because he can't see me while I'm worshiping anyway because Josh has a blindness disability. But it's okay, but you're close enough. He might be able to, and I'm like, the whole time I'm just like, I'm so nervous. It's like test day at school, worshiping on the front row with you guys. I love you, all of you, and I appreciate the guys that invited me, but I don't know that I'll do it again next week. (laughs) Somebody in the back, hold a seat and invite me back there next week. I'll try it in the back sometime. Love one another, but love everyone. Love the guest. Love the first-time person. Love the person you've never met before. Love the people outside of the church. We're going to walk out, and there's all kinds of activities going on in our community. Love them today. Again, looking at the words of Paul, Paul said, look, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And labor, of course, in this neighborhood, neighbor in this case is, is, in the context of proximity and relationship, not necessarily geographic. Your neighbor could be that obnoxious person on social media this afternoon, or it might be your actual neighbor and their dogs that bark incessantly all night long while you're trying to sleep on a Saturday night, which are tough nights for some of us. This is what Jesus said, and this is one of my favorite verses in scripture. John 13 verse 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Being a loving church is the number one evangelistic strategy to share the hope that's found in Jesus with a lost world that has no clue and doesn't experience this kind of love in any other place, any other venue. Paul prayed that they would trust and that God direct the path as he was trusting and letting God direct the path. Paul prayed that that church would continue to love one another the same way they had learned to love under his leadership and that that love would expand even beyond the church to the whole world, the community, everyone they could possibly reach for Christ. And then he transitions and we pick up on this next week. Growth will produce character. In verse 13 he says, may he make our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Character. We want to grow into people that reflect the holiness of God. That's our goal. That's our desire. And we're going to pick up on that next week together. But growth will aid us and help us produce holiness. Every day I want to look more like Jesus.